Good morning. Please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Today we'll be reading from 1 Corinthians 1, 18-25. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Please bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Father, thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your word. And for the cross, thank you for grace and mercy. And thank you for the Holy Spirit and his presence in this room. Please use this time and your word to speak to each one of us. Please use Pastor Hannah's words to minister to your church. Bless each person here today with your presence. Amen. Please be seated. Two weeks ago... In the span of eight days, there were three separate public mass shooting events in our country. The debates that rage after tragedies such as this are seemingly never-ending. Debates about racism, debates about endless political disputes, stark and angry divisions. It's just one example of a modern culture that many believe to be out of control. A runaway train of competing voices and ideas and thought processes that are constantly swirling around us. Causing, causing many Christ followers to, to get lost in the confusion. Causing many Christ followers to lose themselves amidst the cloud to begin to lash out at the culture around us. 
You see, for a long time, the church was able to give God's people a roadmap. If this happens, then do that. If you find yourself in this situation, here is the solution. If your neighbor says this, here is the response. Turn by turn directions. Maps like that are no longer effective if they ever were. Over the last couple of years, as we have been restoring this beautiful old structure, we we come across these treasures in various closets and corners. Um, We recently found this map. We don't know exactly, but, but based on where we found it and what it looks like, we're guessing it's a give or take 70, 75 years old. People that know me well and even people that don't will tell you I'm an absolute map nerd. If there's a map in a room, I can't pay attention to anything else that's happening. You show me a 75-year-old map and I am gone for the day. So I saw this map and the first thing I did, it's East Nashville. First thing I did was find the church. Second thing I did was find my house. That proved harder. My road isn't even on this map. If I were to give you my address from this building and give you this map, you would never find your way to my house. Now, you may be thinking, all right, Hannah, but the map is 75 years old. You just told us that. Of course, it's going to be outdated. Um, Nick and I use Uber and Lyft a lot. Nine times out of ten. You give the Lyft driver my address, and they stop about a block away from my house, completely confused because it just kind of fades away. You see, just in the last 18 months, my little dead-end street that doesn't even exist on that map has gone from seven houses to 12. All the addresses change. GPS can't even keep up. The great irony is The one navigational tool that has never been outdated was invented over 2,000 years ago, the compass, with its magnetized arrow, always directing you to a fixed point, always directing you to true north. When you have a compass, when you know how to use it, you always know where you are and what direction you need to go. Over the next Eight weeks, we here at the church at Lachlan Springs are going to explore several of the big, terrifying cultural issues that we deal with every day because we're real people that live in a real world. We're going to be looking at racism. We're going to be looking at sexuality. We're going to be looking at politics. We're going to be looking at technology and its role on our lives. We're going to approach each one of these subjects with humility. We will be focusing on what we are for 
and not what we are against. We will be calibrating and magnetizing our compass toward that fixed point, towards that true north, giving us the tools to walk in modern America in 2019. Now, if you read social media, God bless you. You probably have been confronted with the idea on numerous occasions that it is worse today than it has ever been. We are most certainly living in the end times, right? Guys, I don't have any idea if we're living in the end times. Largely because the Bible tells me none of us know if we're living in the end times. Paul himself thought Jesus was going to come back within his lifespan. That was 2,000 years ago. Now, Jesus may come back before the end of this sermon. I don't have any clue. What I can tell you is the idea that it is worse today than it has ever been is patently false. Example after example after example in every age, every century, every time period proves we are fallen and broken people living in a fallen and broken world that invariably will begin to devolve into chaos. Janan read for us this morning a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is Paul's letter to a church that he planted in the town of Corinth. Now, Corinth, 2,000 years ago, it was a seaport. It's located in modern-day Greece. And as most seaports of the day... The city was incredibly prosperous and equally shameless to the point that Greeks at the time had a word that defined leading a life of debauchery. Corinthiazine. There are no Greeks in here, right? I hope not because I butchered that. The word meant to live like a Corinthian. That's what the culture was like in this city. As as a prosperous seaport, people came from all over the world. It was this diverse, dynamic, fluid melting pot of thoughts and ideas and, and peoples and religions and creeds from all over the world. And looking over that seaport, there was this hill about 1,800 feet tall. On the top of the hill, there was a temple to Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love. In that temple, there were 1,000 priestesses. Now, the culture and religion that kind of surrounded the worship of Aphrodite was one that glorified sexuality. These 1,000 priestesses would come down into the city in the evenings as sacred prostitutes. This was the city of Corinth 2,000 years ago. Dynamic, diverse, ever-changing, completely shameless. And it's in that culture that Paul planted a church and there was no roadmap for that church to navigate the difficulties of the culture they were in. So Paul writes them a letter. 
If you look back at the beginning of chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, we see some of the, the specific issues that, that the, the body of Christ was having, that the church was having. They had kind of devolved into some of these debates about who was more important and, and I'm a better Christian because I was baptized by this person. No, I'm a better Christian because I was baptized by that person. My gifts are more valuable than your gifts. We celebrate these things more than we celebrate those things. They had lost their direction. And so Paul reminds them in this passage of that that fixed point. Look back with me starting at verse 21. For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom. God was pleased to save those who believe through through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified. The foundation of faith, the fixed point of salvation, that word preached. When Paul says, I come to you in this passage, he says, I come to you humbly, not with eloquent words. I come to you with one simple message, that message of Christ crucified. That word preached doesn't mean that Paul stands on a stage like this and talks for a period of time and builds some sort of legal argument. No, that word preached means a a herald. A herald of the king. Paul says, I'm, I, I come to you not with my message, but with God's message. And it's, it's my job to shout it from the mountaintops. And that message is simple. It is Christ crucified. But then Paul recognizes. Again, verse 23. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. This simple message, this simple gospel, this fixed point that cuts through all of the craziness of culture, this picture of Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews. God's chosen people. It causes them to stumble and fall for for a couple of reasons. First of all, as Paul points out in this passage, the Jews traditionally, they, they sought power. They sought signs. They sought miracles. If God was going to come in the form of the Messiah as was prophesied in the Old Testament, then surely this Messiah would be powerful. He would be able to topple empires at the sound of his voice. You see, the problem with seeking miracles, basing your faith on signs, is that it's never enough. God, just just do this one thing. Just this one thing, and I promise you I will follow you anywhere. God does that thing, and then what happens? Tomorrow, or next week, or next month, God, just this one thing. Prove to me who you are, and I will follow you anywhere. 
The Jews sought a Messiah that could dance for them. On top of that, the Jews stood on this Old Testament verse in Deuteronomy chapter 21 that says, any man that hung from a tree was under the curse of God. So you've got this man that says he's the Messiah, but he was crucified. He can't be who he said he was because no Messiah would let that happen. It's interesting because the the Jews stood on that one verse in Deuteronomy, ignoring all the other passages, Isaiah 53, that talks about the suffering servant, the suffering Messiah. They, They refused to acknowledge the possibility of a suffering Messiah. I preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews. And foolishness to the Gentiles. Now, now you know the Gentiles, when, when Paul refers to the Gentiles, he's talking about anybody that's not a Jew. And that word foolishness in this passage could probably be better translated madness. Insanity. The simple message of the crucified Messiah would be viewed by the Greeks as absolute madness. You see, the Greeks all but worshipped knowledge, wisdom, understanding. The rock stars of the day were the philosophers, Aristotle, Plato, Socrates. These were the ones that were elevated. They loved the rhetoric. They loved the public debate. They wanted a Messiah to come and convince them. Show me why it makes sense to follow you. Guys, hear me say this. The gospel, Christ crucified. To our minds, it never makes sense. And if you have someone in your life that you are attempting to argue into heaven, it never works. That's not the way it was designed to work. Paul stood in front of the Greeks and said, there was a man executed on a nondescript hill in the backwaters of the empire. And his death determines the eternal fate of every man, woman, and child born on this planet. And the Greeks said, that's absurd. Take yourself out of the story for just a second. Bring yourself to modern America and imagine reading this headline tomorrow. A man was executed by the authorities of a small Middle Eastern country yesterday. That man claimed to be the savior of the world. That man would never get a second thought from you. Because it's insane. We come to preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews. Madness to the Greeks. But then what does he write? Verse 24. 
Yet, to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. You see, Paul sets up this stark contrast. When people hear the gospel, they receive it in one of two ways. It is absolutely absurd. Or it's the power and wisdom and love and salvation of God. The question is, what makes one person receive news of Christ crucified and think it absurd? And the next person receive news of Christ crucified and think it God's power and wisdom. First Corinthians chapter 1 verse 24. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. There are people in this room that just got really nervous. Let's keep moving forward. I want you to pay attention to this word called and each form of it. Starting in verse 26. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling Not many were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, To bring to nothing what is viewed as something. So that no one may boast in his presence. It is from him that you were in Christ Jesus. Who became wisdom from God for us. Our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. In order that, as it is written. Let no one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Many of us read passages like this, and we just kind of want to ignore it. I I don't like the idea of God choosing, of God calling. Let me first say this. It's in there. It cannot... And it will not be ignored. It's not just here. I could name 20 other passages. Let me also say this. It does not absolve you of your personal responsibility. Verse 21. For since in God's wisdom the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe. God's sovereignty 
our responsibility. It does not have to be either or. It can be both and. The Bible is okay with that, and so shall we be. This is what I want you to hear me say today. If this morning you receive the word of Christ crucified and you recognize God's power and God's wisdom and God's love and God's salvation, it is not because you are smarter than anyone else. It is not because you are wiser than anyone else. And it is certainly not because you are better than anyone else. It is not because of merit in you. It is because of mercy in God that you are saved. Now this morning, I recognize that I'm speaking to a wide range of people in a wide range of seasons of life with a wide range of needs and a wide range of challenges. It is my aim to point you to the cross wherever you are in your season of life. It is my desperate desire to recalibrate your compass and to remind you that in the cross of Jesus Christ you find your only real hope for peace, for comfort, for joy, for love, and for life. I want to remind you of that this morning. And at the same time, I want to urge you to tell everyone you know that they can also know that hope, the only real hope for peace, for joy, for comfort, for love, and for life itself. It's easy to forget. It's easy to lose our way. And it is totally absurd to our human minds. It's what Paul reminded the Corinthians of when they lost sight of the centrality of the cross. It's what I bring to you this morning. And it is the fixed point, the true north toward which we will be walking together. Would you pray with me?
God, we are humbled and amazed by your presence with us this morning. Grateful beyond measure. That we wanted to get to you, but when we couldn't, you came to us instead. And you did so in the form of your son, a Messiah, crucified for us. Grateful beyond the ability to articulate that the story didn't end there. But three days later, that grave was empty so that we might have life in him today. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.